This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. From the host of If I Go Missing and the upcoming show, Finding Relisha, comes a new show called Killer Mindset, where we dive into the types of serial killers and their mindsets and why they did the things that they did. I'm your host, Megan, and I hope you join me on this new adventure. This is the case of Mara Murray. In 2004, Mara Murray was just 21 years old when she seemingly vanished into thin air. Her sudden disappearance left few clues behind for law enforcement and her loved ones to find. Her disappearance has definitely struck a chord with the online community as her case was one of the last major missing persons cases before social media became a big thing. On the night she disappeared, Mara was navigating the twists and turns of Highway 112 when she got into a minor accident. Around 10 minutes later, police showed up to the scene and found Mara's car abandoned. The windshield was cracked, doors were locked, and many of her personal effects were still inside. There was no trace of Mara. Was she abducted by a stranger? Did she walk into the freezing woods? Or, as some speculate, did she call someone to pick her up to start a new life? These questions are still unanswered. It's coming up on 16 years now, and we know no more than we did the day that Mara vanished. Before we dive into the bizarre case that is the one of Mara Murray, we need to learn a little bit more about her. Mara is more than just an infamous name and a face. She was, maybe is, a vibrant young woman who was a daughter, a sister, a friend, and a girlfriend. She left behind more questions than answers, but she deserves to have the world know who she was before she was Mara Murray, a missing person. Mara Murray was a nursing student and on-campus security guard at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Prior to her enrollment there, she attended West Point, a well-known military academy. Mara seemed to have a really good life. She was in nursing school. She had been dating her boyfriend, Bill, who was a soldier stationed out at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. They had been dating for a very long time. They had met at West Point, where Mara was a cadet for two years before transferring to UMass. She reportedly had secured a summer nursing job in Oklahoma for the upcoming summer. She was on the dean's list. And in high school, she was a star athlete on the basketball and track teams. Those close to her said she had no history of mental illness and she had no reason to walk away from her life. Who would walk away from that life? I mean, everybody's life's perfect. There's always a skeleton in the closet. But it sounds like things were pretty good, you know? Well, Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and sure. looking back, there were some clues that would point to the fact that maybe Mara's life wasn't all that it seemed. You see, back in November of 2003, three months before Mara would go missing, she admitted to using stolen credit cards to order food from several restaurants. The charge ended up being dismissed for good behavior, though, but this wasn't the first time Mara had stolen. During her time at West Point, Mara had stolen some makeup worth only about $15 from a commissary at Fort Knox while on a training exposition. Of course, I mean, it's freaking Fort Knox. 
So Mara did get caught. It resulted in her having an honor code violation with West Point. She was allowed to leave West Point without getting officially expelled, and that would allow her to transfer to UMass Amherst for their nursing program. These run-ins with the law were really unlike Mara. In fact, she even told a friend that she didn't know why she stole the makeup because she actually had the money to pay for it. And I mean, I don't really think this is something to harp on because good kids do dumb things sometimes. It's just not all of them are ballsy enough to steal from a place known for being super secure. So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing in and of itself. But if she had the money to pay for it, that leads you to the concern that she is a kleptomaniac and can't help it. Or maybe she's just a good kid that was doing a rebellious thing for the adrenaline rush. Possible. And to see if I can steal something from Fort Knox. I don't know. I mean, you know, you can speculate all you want to, honestly. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't make her this horrible person. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just sometimes really good kids do really dumb things. There was also a lot of talk that she and her boyfriend, Bill, were having trouble, but this case is just full of theories and rumors, so I'm going to try to choose not to elaborate on things that are just theories. I'm going to try to focus on the facts, but the deeper we get into this case, the harder that's going to become. I really want to start our story on February 5th, 2004. This would be four days before Mara would go missing. Mara was working her shift at her job on campus. It was during this shift that Mara would receive a call from her younger sister. It was after this call Mara became visibly upset. A work supervisor came into the workplace that same night and saw Mara sitting there in somewhat of a dazed state. Her job was to be checking IDs and letting people come in and out as she worked as a security guard. However, on this particular night, people were roaming in and out without being checked because Mara was just in a dazed state. When her supervisor came in and saw this, she asked Mara what was wrong, but the only thing Mara could say was, my sister. Interesting. The exact content of the conversation between Mara and her sister Kathleen is still unknown to this day. Although Kathleen has explained the call publicly, the exact wording we don't know. Kathleen did say that she was a recovering alcoholic and had been discharged from a rehabilitation clinic that night. And while on the way home, her fiance took her by a liquor store, which caused her to have an emotional breakdown. I honestly don't think this sounds like something that would render Mara into a near comatose staring state that she was found in at work. But I don't have siblings, so I can't possibly attest to what Mara could have been feeling in that moment. A lot of pain. You know, is that... Having siblings, it'd be like, oh my God, please no. Don't fall back into that. But to put me in a comatose, non-functioning state of mind, no, no. Where I wouldn't even notice his people are going through without badges and I'm not doing my job, no. It, it wouldn't take me that far. And a lot of people don't believe that it was that call with Kathleen that made mm-hmm. Mara in that state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I gotta agree with that. But then again, that thought we really don't have anything else to go on. Yeah. Regardless, her supervisor ended up walking her back to her dorm because she was in no condition to finish out her shift that night. Hmm. More. Oh. Exactly. The yeah. more you dive into this thing, the more confused you will get. Interesting. So, flash forward two days later. It's now the weekend. We have approximately two days before Mara would go missing. 
Mara had been driving around in her old beat-up Saturn, and both she and her father agreed it was in no condition for her to keep driving it. So, he actually came up to Amherst to see his daughter and go car shopping. That Saturday afternoon, Mara and her dad, Fred, went out car shopping to try and replace Mara's old car. After their shopping, Mara and her dad met up with one of Mara's friends for dinner. Following the dinner, the two girls had plans to attend a party back at the campus storms. With her car being in rough shape, she had asked her dad if she could borrow his new Toyota Corolla. Of course, Fred lets Mara take his car, so after dinner, she drops him back at his hotel, and she and her friend head back to campus. The girls arrive at 10.30 p.m. back at campus for the party. Then at 2.30 a.m. on Sunday, February 8th, Mara leaves the party. By 3.30 a.m., we're en route to her father's motel, and she struck a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, causing nearly $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. There was an accident report written up by the responding officer, but there's no documentation of any type of field sobriety test being performed. So I think we can safely assume that the officer didn't think Mara was driving under the influence. Later that same morning, her dad learned that the insurance would cover the damages and everything was going to be okay. So Fred then rents a car, drops his daughter off at the university, and heads back home. At 11.30 that night, Fred called Mara to remind her to obtain the accident forms from the Registry of Motor Vehicles, and they agreed to talk again Monday night to discuss the forms and fill out the insurance claim via telephone. Okay. Monday, February 9th, 2004. A little after midnight, Mara uses her personal computer to do a MapQuest search for directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. The first time anyone would have any contact with her on this day would be around 1 p.m. And she would email her boyfriend saying, I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. She then called a condo association in Bartlett, New Hampshire to inquire about renting a property. A call that telephone records indicate lasted three minutes, but the owner did not rent the property to Mara. At 1.24 p.m., Mara emailed a work supervisor of the nursing school faculty and said that she would be out of town for a week due to a death in the family. However, her family has confirmed that there was no family emergency and no death. At 2.05 p.m., Mara's next move was calling a number which provides recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. 13 minutes later, she tried to call her boyfriend again, but it was to no avail. She ended up having to leave Bill a voice message. And on the message she left, she basically was just saying that she wanted to speak with him. Later that afternoon, she would pack a bag and walk out of her dorm room to that same old beat-up 1996 Saturn, the same one that her and her father were trying to replace that very weekend before, and drive away from campus. In her car, Mara packed clothing, toiletries, college textbooks, and birth control pills. Clear indications, at least to me, that she was planning on returning. If I'm going to disappear forever, why am I going to bother taking my birth control? <laughs> why am I going to take my books? <sighs> I don't know. But I mean, the birth yeah. control is going to have Mara Murray on it. It's going to have your name on it. This is true. You can get birth control pretty much anywhere. Yeah, any health department, yeah. But yeah. yeah, the college textbook, if I'm going to like run away or if I'm going to commit yeah. suicide, if I'm going to... I'm not taking a college textbook. Yeah, me. I'm not going to take my books to study. I'm not going to need yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. So all, all of this really tells me Mara planned on maybe taking just a breather and coming back. Maybe mm-hmm. taking that week 
that she was going to have that family emergency and clearing your mind yeah. and coming back. Kind of sounds like she was planning on coming back. We're now up to 3.40 p.m. the day she disappears. And it's at this point that she goes and withdraws all the money from her account from an ATM. And that's actually $280. That's all she had. And closed circuit footage shows she was alone at the ATM while withdrawing the money. But this is where it gets weird. Er. <laughs> at a nearby liquor store... Mara purchases about $40 worth of alcoholic beverages, including Bailey's Irish Cream, Kahula, Vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. Security footage shows she was alone while making the purchase. She also, at some point in the day, had went by the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles and picked up the accident report forms. Another indicator that she wasn't running away. Yeah, looks like she's going to meet her dad. or Like she's you know, picking like up they... the forms to... Have that phone conversation mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mara is believed to have left the Amherst area between 4 and 5 p.m. and is presumed to have taken Interstate 91 going northbound. And at 4.37 p.m., she would call her voicemail box, and this would be the last recorded use of her cell phone. To date, there is no indication she had informed anyone of her destination or any evidence that she had chosen a destination. Personally, I believe she was going to meet someone. She had a lot of alcohol in that car. She did. And why do you want to make sure you don't miss your birth control pill? I, you know, I don't want to come back pregnant. I have to explain that. Yeah. 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 She, and then in the hotel rooms and the, yeah, it definitely sounds like she was going to meet someone. And I mean, girl or guy, I mean, birth control pills, it could be for an innocent reason or mm -hmm. it could mm -hmm. be for a personal reason. Yeah. But still you're taking them for a reason you don't want to miss them and all this alcohol though yeah that's a lot for one person yeah unless she's gonna use it all week that's a lot even for a week do you not want to remember the entire week i don't know if we knew what upset her so much with her sister it would kind of help piece maybe some of this together if it even was her sister there's speculation that Something else was going on, and maybe that's just the first thing that popped into her mind. Yeah. Maybe it was a scapegoat. Yeah, I can't argue with that. The next time we know for sure about Mara's whereabouts is around 7 p.m. or a little after, a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident heard a loud thump outside her home. That thump was Mara. As the resident looked outside her window, she said she could see a car up against the snowbank along Wild Amanusik Road. Mara's car was pointing west on the eastbound side of the road. At about the same time, another neighbor saw the car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She witnesses a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. That neighbor was a school bus driver returning home, and he noticed the young woman, and she wasn't bleeding or had any visible injuries, but she was cold and shivering. He offered to telephone for help, but she asked him, and in some reports, pleaded with him not to call the police and assured him that she had already called AAA. But he knew this was a lie, knowing that there was no cellular reception in the area they were in. Makes sense. He goes back to his house and still just goes ahead and decides to call the sheriff's department at 7.43 p.m. This is actually the second call they would receive. The first call was from the woman who saw her inside her house. Okay. Another local resident driving home from work claimed she passed the scene around 7.37 p.m. and saw a police SUV parked face-to-face -face with Murray's car. 
She pulled over briefly and didn't see anyone inside or outside the cars and decided to continue home. This statement contradicts the police's official report. According to Haverhill Police's official report, they arrived at the scene at 7.46 p.m. Upon arriving at the scene, they found no one in or around the car. Mara was gone. The car had hit a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight and pushing the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The windshield of the car was also cracked on the driver's side and both airbags had deployed. The car was also locked. Okay, so if I'm getting out of my car, leaving everything behind, why on earth would I care to make sure my doors are locked? Yeah. If I had no intention of coming back to that car. That makes no sense whatsoever. I think she got out the car, wandered out yeah. to try to find help. Yeah, and they said something about was that a snow embankment or whatever. Yeah, her car crashed so, up on a um, snow embankment. She probably got out in that snow and got lost. She was an avid hiker. Yeah, but when it's when it's snowing and the you know the snow's thick enough on the ground, so it it just it masks everything that you're used to, and it makes it very difficult. Makes, makes the whole terrain different. Makes sense. While searching inside the car, police found what appeared to be red wine stains. These stains also appeared outside the car as well in the snow. On top of that, they also found an empty beer bottle and the box of Franzia wine that Mara had just purchased earlier that same day was damaged and laying on the rear seat. Mara's AAA insurance card, the blank accident report forms, gloves, and a book entitled Not Without Peril was found in the car and this book was actually said to be a favorite of Mara's and it told the story of mountain climbing in the White Mountains which is where she had actually been looking at areas to spend her time Mm -hmm. in that week. Okay. So some people say that this book points to her saying that she's going to like live off the grid in the mountains and she's starting a new life. It was a clue left behind for her. You know, like, for her family mm-hmm. to find. Sometimes, I don't know, I just think it's, I, I think it's a book she liked that she brought with her. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a little far-fetched. I mean, I have books that I like, movies that I like, but I'm not uprooting myself and going to live in that book, live in that area, live in that world, you know? Yeah, I think, I think it was more so just meant as, like, I'm going to, you know... If she was going to have, like, a... Just, just a cleanse period, day or two, week, whatever. I can see her taking her favorite book. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting on the back porch of a cabin I'm renting or whatever, whatever. And I'm, I'm reading my favorite book. I'm totally blocking out the world. You know? Mm-hmm. It I makes definitely see sense. that. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. I, I don't think this book points to any clue or indicator or anything other than the fact that she really liked the book and brought it with her. So, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, definitely. Another thing in the car was her favorite stuffed animal. On the other hand, the items police found missing from the car were Mara's debit cards, credit cards, and her cell phone. None of these items had been used since she disappeared, but along with these items, police later reported finding that some of the bottles of liquor Mara had purchased earlier were unaccounted for. Although the police noted bottles of alcohol and signs that Mara had been drinking, they also reported no evidence of a struggle or footprints leading into the woods. So they didn't see where she struggled with anybody, like they had forced her into a car. They didn't see any footprints to indicate that she walked away. 
I would love to comment, but I can't. I'm I'm kind of baffled because every time I think of well, but no, no, no. Well, but no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This case um, will literally take you on the road of your life. I mean, no footprints at all. She had to have gotten out of the car. Well, there was an eyewitness that she got out of the car and walked around. Did she get in the car with someone? Did anybody see someone come up and her get in their car? Because, I mean, apparently neighbors were a little nosy. They were checking things out. Nobody reported that they saw anything like that. As a matter of fact, the bus driver who had stopped and asked Mara if she wanted to phone the police, he was a man by the name of Butch Atwood. And Atwood and a responding officer actually drove around the area searching for Mara that night in case she did decide to just walk off. Mm Mm-hmm. Just before 8 p.m., EMS and a fire truck arrived to clear the scene, and by 8.49 p.m., Mara's car had been towed to a local garage. It was at this garage that a rag believed to have been part of Mara's emergency roadside kit was discovered stuffed into the Saturn's muffler pipe. A lot of people think this is a sign that something sinister had happened. Maybe someone planted it there, making her car act up and causing her to crash. But there's another explanation. Fred, Mara's dad, claimed he had advised Mara to stuff a rag in the tailpipe to reduce, hide, prevent smoke from her car's tailpipe. Now, I, of course, ran straight to my dad with this because he's kind of like my car guru. Whenever I have a question about a car, I just go straight to him because he's the type of person who can look at a car and tell you the make, model, and write about the year just by looking at it. He's just that person. So... I sent him details, and I was like, I don't know what this means. Can you help me explain it? And honestly, he really didn't think there was a situation in which this could have been beneficial or even really would make a difference in how it would affect Mars' car. Right. As far as emitting smoke and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the things that it was supposed to be preventing. Well, he's always told me that anything you stuff in a tailpipe, when you start up that motor, it can be sucked into that motor. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, that just doesn't even make any sense to put something in a tailpipe. Just it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, some people think that maybe it was done afterward. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a red herring. Yeah. And maybe when the neighbors saw somebody walking around the car, maybe that was Mara putting that in the tailpipe. Not only that, that makes me feel like she's her dad said I told her to do that. Is that a is that some thing between the two of them? He knows what it means. That's actually a really, really good point. Because maybe maybe dad knew a little of what was going on and he knew she was trying to just get out of her world for a period of time or permanently. And her way of telling him, I'm doing whatever we had discussed, whatever. Or what if that's her way of telling him something went wrong? Exactly. Because. If that's their communication. That the reason why I'm lashing so hard on to this statement that you just made is because he's adamant that someone abducted his daughter. Yeah. And he thinks, you know, even if she was just up and ran away like mm-hmm. everybody claims she would not have let us go this long hurting and wondering she right. would not have done this to me we were very close i mm-hmm. I read articles of him saying you know she's very close we were very mm-hmm. close she would have at least reached out to me by now to let me know she's okay right. i mean i can see us having something to give me the clue that i need to 
I need to call the cops for this, or she's okay because this is what's going on, or mm-hmm. because that's just our relationship. That could have been their relationship, and he would understand that she needed that time away. But if something goes wrong, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Or, um, you know, if something's right, this is what I'm going to do. Even even if that was their signal for, you know, things are good, Dad. I'm following the plan. I told you I wanted to follow. Um, yeah, but you weren't supposed to follow it this long. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or he's just swore to her that he would not divulge whatever's going on. I don't know. I'm grabbing the straws, too, there. But I feel like that's more of a sign of something than an actual, it helps my car. And him telling her to do it, it makes me feel like more so as a sign that something's wrong. Because mm-hmm. if everything's going good, mm-hmm. you don't you don't need to contact me. Right. If your plan's going as is... Your plans to get away. You're not going to want to contact me right now. Right. So, you know, something's going on. I don't know. Maybe she had an uncomfortable feeling. Man, she mm-hmm. knew she had to get out of that area. She stuffed the rag in there to let her dad know something happened. Because, like I said, her dad is adamant to this day that somebody's taken his daughter. Right. And, I mean, it may have been all she had, but it's a rag out of her emergency kit. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes you, hmm. I don't know. Like I said, this case is bizarre. And if you let yourself, you can get sucked down rabbit holes asking yourself, what if, all day mm-hmm. long. I believe that. That's why I've tried so hard to stick to just the known fact. And as you can see with every known fact, there is a rabbit hole right behind it. Yeah. It's so. definitely something. I don't know. Something, something's not right. 16 years and we get that far. Yeah. We're now up to 12.36 p.m. on February 10th, 2004. A bolo alert was put out for Mara. And for those of you that may not know what this means, it just means be on the lookout. So law enforcement would know, you know, this person is actively missing. We think she might be in danger. Keep an eye out for her. By February 11th, friends family and volunteers had begun to search the area she was last seen. Upon learning of Mara's disappearance, her dorm room was also searched back at UMass, and campus police discovered most of her belongings packed in boxes and the art removed from the walls. It's not clear whether Mara packed them that day or maybe, you know, she hadn't finished unpacking. Yeah. Well, somebody would know that. Yeah. A friend ha- came to hang out or whatever, whatever would know. Girls still ain't empty them boxes. So somebody could verify that. On top of the boxes was a printed email to Mara's boyfriend indicating trouble in their relationship. Meanwhile, Bill, upon learning that Mara was missing, actually got a leave of absence from the Army and began the long drive to where Mara was last seen to join the search. Bill was concerned and hoping to hear from Mara. He even noted he never knew of Mara to drink and drive and went on to speculate that she may have fled the scene out of fear of knowing she had broken the law. And a police dog actually reported tracking the scent of her from one of Mara's gloves, but lost the scent 100 yards east from the vehicle. So this has to support the theory that maybe she did try to walk away from the accident. And maybe she was offered a ride or even got picked up against her will. Mara was a smart and avid hiker. She certainly would have known that going into the snow-covered wilderness would mean freezing to death, most likely. 
Early in the investigation, the police stated that they believed Mara might have come to the area to run away or commit suicide. Mara's boyfriend had turned off his cell phone during his flight to Haverville and later received a voicemail that he believed was the sound of Mara sobbing. The call was tracked to a calling card issued to the American Red Cross. Fred, Mara's dad, believes that the local police botched the investigation by treating the disappearance as a missing persons case and not a criminal matter. And by doing so, authorities missed many opportunities during those critical first 36 hours after Mara disappeared. In a press release statement, the police had said they believed that Mara was headed for an unknown destination and may have accepted a ride in order to continue to that location, also adding in that they discovered no evidence that a crime had been committed. The New York Daily News reported on the case back in 2014, and they asked Mara's dad what he believed happened to his daughter that fateful February night back in 2004. And Fred Murray says he believes that his daughter had been abducted on the night she went missing, met with foul play, and is now dead. He still hasn't given up searching, though. Okay. And he likely never will. And I can't blame him for that. No, no. You would search forever for your child. Mara remains missing and her case remains unsolved to this day. Our hearts truly go out to her family and hope that one day they get the answers that they deserve and Mm -hmm. Mara gets to come home. In Washington, D.C. alone, more than 2,000 kids will go missing each year. One of those kids is a little girl by the name of Relisha Red. She's been missing for six years now. Her story got minimal coverage but not anymore. I am doing something nobody else has done. I am taking an objective look at her case. I'm speaking with family members. I'm talking to advocates and investigators, and we all have one main goal, and that is to bring Relisha home. Check out the Instagram page at Finding Relisha for updates and also for news of when the show will air for the first time. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at If I Go Missing Podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel Pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast, and we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.